it is amazing to be amongst you, really, after, well, I was just sitting there for a bit, thinking about when was the last time I was with you all? And I, I, apart from some of you who were on our course last year, and some of you, of course, were, you know, back in, back, uh, was it, in the, in the summer I came down for a bit, and I, and, and I was around then. But other than that, really, it was, it's going back quite a while uh, before then. And so I just, I just want to say, it, it's been an amazing year for us. It has been an amazing year. And we are in amazing times, aren't we? We are in remarkable times. Who would have thought that within a short matter of months from when I was last with you, that the world would be in the state that it's in? And the king is right at the door. Now, when, when we say the king is right at the door, we have to really put that in the context of, you know, of all the time that has come from when he ascended back to the Father to where we are right now. But we are certainly in the season heading towards the end. Things are accelerating. And it's getting serious. It's always been serious. But it's getting more serious. I see it's a great picture that Jenny gave us and a reminder of that phrase about, you know, from little acorns come great oaks. It's very true. And the scripture talks so much about the seed of the word of God. And when it's received in our hearts, if we are good soil for the word of God, how that, you know, we can, we can bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold or 100-fold. But really, it's the same seed that's sown, isn't it? but produces a different harvest depending on the quality of the soil into which it's sown. And the quality of the, se- of the, quality of the soil speaks of our own hearts. And so I believe that the Lord is actually, even in this time, even individually amongst some of you here, and even in this church, individually and corporately, the Lord is sifting the soil. He is. He's sifting the soil. He's sifting through the soil of some hearts here. He's sifting through the church. And he's doing it for a reason because he wants to bring you into a greater season of fruitfulness as the promise has already come. Now, Jenny and I have not compared notes. (laughs) We have not talked at all about what we're going to share this this week. But I I just want to say to you that the Spirit of God has has done a great work in, a, in many of your lives to bring you to the place you're already in. But actually, some of you right now, there are some things that are out of order. I walked in tonight, and as I walked in tonight, I said, there are, there are things that are out of order. In some people's hearts, in some people's thinking, in some people's thoughts. And I want you to know, I want you to put faith in the greatness of your God today. Put faith in the greatness of your God, of what He is doing all over the world, all over the nations, what He is doing. He is the sovereign King. He is Lord of all. Amen. Amen. He called you. He saved you. He's chosen you. He's working in your life. He's very patient with us. He's very gracious with us. He doesn't want you to miss anything that He's doing. But look, tonight is going to be a mixture of faith building, encouragement, warning, Call to repentance, call to faith. There is an adventure that God is calling you into in faith that is really exciting for individuals here and corporately. But there's some, th- some things that he needs to get sorted out with some of you to get you there. 
there needs to be a heartfelt yes amongst some. And so God is going to do uh, a, a real working in our hearts tonight. Look, you know, I, I, I don't know how much I've shared with you already when I came. I can't remember all that I shared with you back in, uh, you know, back in August or whatever when I was with you all. But, but, you know, it has been an amazing time. We started the year in Rwanda. It's a long time since I've seen a hundred blind people receive their sight, you know, in four days. But that's what happened in Rwanda at the beginning of the year. We went to Argentina. The same thing happened in Catamarca. And God broke out. And again, between 80 to 100 testified of sight being restored in, in four days in Catamarca. It was an amazing time. The Spirit of God would just fall. And 10% of everybody, about each night, about 600 or so, would come to the Lord. And then the Spirit would fall. And again, about 60 of them had to be dragged out to the deliverance tent. You know, as demons would come screaming out of people. And, and it was dramatic stuff as Jesus was setting people free and healing people and, and moving in a, in a wonderful way. People out of their wheelchairs, blind eyes, seeing, deaf. God was on the move, moving mightily. Then in Buenos Aires, of course, as the, you know, if I, I can't remember if I, if I shared it with you, but, but you know, it, it's quite something. Don't worry about it. She's just fine. Bless her. You're all right, sweetie. Okay. So, um, so look, I didn't want to say, you know, even in a, then going down to Buenos Aires and, and warlocks turning up, you know, and, uh, and eight warlocks because they had heard about the miracles and they came to try and stop them. But then, but then Jesus began to move in the middle of the meeting and 15 blind people got their sight and cripples began to walk, tumors dissolved and six out of the eight gave their lives to Christ. It was wonderful. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. You know, one guy turned up with a gun under his belt, under his jumper, hearing voices saying, kill, kill, kill. He sat in the front row so he could get, I don't know whether he was intending to bump me off or, or what it was. You know, he would have had a good, a, a good angle for that. But the wonderful thing is instead of bumping me off, and I am immortal until my work is done. So, you know, we can't be touched until Jesus says, it's time to go. So the reality is this, is that, you know, and instead of that, the Spirit of God overwhelmed him. He heard the good news of Jesus. He gave his life to Christ and handed the gun to the pastor, praise the Lord. I'm glad to be here to tell the story. But, you know, it, it, it's been a remarkable time that we went over to uh, South Africa. In South Africa, uh, again, a wonderful time. About 2,000 came to the Lord in South Africa. And in, uh, this is just at the end of, you know, end of August, beginning of September. And God really broke out. Wonderful time. About 2,000 salvations. And I can remember at the end of one of the meetings in, um, in Cape Town, there's this particularly large fella, had a very intimidating persona. I had no idea who he was, but the leaders asked me to go and pray for him. So I, I, I went up to him. I said, so how can we help you? Turned out he was blind. And uh, I didn't know why he was blind. I only learned that later. But he was blind. And so I laid hands on him in the name of Jesus. And Jesus gave him his sight back. When Jesus gave him his sight back, suddenly he, he began to weep and to weep. He put his arms around me. I was a big fellow. And he grabbed me. And I kind of felt, if you don't let go of me soon, you're going to break my ribs. You know, and he was such a big fellow, but sobbing and sobbing as Jesus met with him. And then, you know, uh, I got that sense very often, you know, when you, 
you're with somebody, you're close to them and you're praying for them, you get a sense the Holy Spirit just speaks to you about them. And while he's holding on to me, I just got that deep sense that the man wasn't saved. And so I just said, so can I ask you, have you given your life to Christ? Are you born again? And, uh, and he began to shake his head and he's sobbing. Anyway, I said, come on, now's the time. And he gave his life to Jesus there and then. Anyway, as I left, the, the senior uh, apostolic guy there, Andrew Sally, wonderful guy, uh, you know, I mean, the church is 13,000 strong in itself, you know, and then 300 other church plants, and that's in 25 years. So a remarkable move of God. But anyway, we, got, we jumped into the car together, and as we get in, he's just shaking his head, and I said, what is it, Andrew? And he said, John, that fella. I said, what fella? He said, the big guy who got his sight back. I said, yeah, what about him? He said, you've no idea who that guy is. I said, well, what of it? Who is he? And he said, well, he's really feared by a lot of people here in Cape Town. The guy's a hitman. He's really, you know, everybody, he's taken so many lives. In fact, the only reason he's here is because of the fact, he said, uh, he was working in Saudi for a Saudi prince. And, uh, you know, as a hitman. And, uh, you know, but as he was on his way to do a job, um, as he's on his way to do that job, a bomb blew up in front of him and that's what blinded him. And so he lost the job and he was sent back to Cape Town. And so, but he heard all about the, the event on the radio and some friends brought him here. And the very fact he's given his life to Christ right here, it was the kindness of the Lord that led him to repentance. That despite all the stuff in his life, all the horrific things he had done with his life, Despite that, the kindness of Jesus reached out to him and healed the man. And that brought forth a repentance in him. What a mighty God we serve. What a great God we serve. He's great in mercy. He's great in faithfulness. He's great in power. He's very patient with us. But do you know what Romans 2 says? That his patience and his kindness is there to lead us to repentance. Man, he doesn't expect us just to receive that grace and receive that kindness and just carry on our own merry way, just getting into worse and worse and worse problems. But he wants us to turn to him, to turn from our sin to him in response to his kindness and lay down our lives and surrender. Amen. So look, you know, we're, we're going to address a few home, home truths tonight. I believe that Jesus is going to do a real wonderful work in our lives. There's going to be some great things that he's going to do over these next few days together. And, uh, and I'm excited that the king is amongst us. It's his church. He's building it. Amen. You're part of it. It's you're designed by God to be part of it. That's what the scripture says. You know, you could have been born anywhere in the world. But actually, you're here by divine appointment. You were born when you were born, in the, in the place where you were born, by divine plan and intention. Amen? Amen? You even live where you live by the intention of God. The Scripture tells us that. It acts that even the boundaries of our dwellings and the seasons of our lives were determined by God. So you are here tonight by divine appointment. And it's so important that we submit to God's word if we want to walk free. It's an interesting thing, and it's not my main subject tonight, but I'm going to paint, just touch on a few things before I get to my main message, because I felt uh, as if we were in worship that I need to. It's an interesting thing, but the Greek word in the New Testament for heresy is rooted in the phrase to have an opinion. Did you know that? 
to have an opinion. Do you know, can I say something? I don't mean to offend you, but your opinions count for nothing. My opinions count for nothing. You know, when we go out on the streets and sometimes, sometimes we have some, some activists come to us, you know, and, and sometimes, and I t- tell all our guys to, to do this, uh, you know, the way I tend to handle activists come to me of all different varieties, but some of them are LGBT activists and they, you know, and, uh, and they come up to me and say, what do you think about LGBT? And, and, and I know the game. I know what they're after. And so I, I just sidestep it and I, I just say, to them, oh, you know. They say, uh, say, what I think about it really doesn't matter at all. I said, in fact, I I died to my opinions years ago. I said, quite frankly, my opinions will die with me and so will yours. I said, they really don't count for anything. I I said, I don't mean to be offensive, but... uh, And they said, but we want to know what you think. And I said, well, it doesn't really matter what I think. I said, you're not answerable to me. You're answerable to God. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to know what God says about it, well, look, here's some scriptures you could have a look at. Let's see what the Bible says. Because ultimately, he's the one who declared what is sin and what is not sin, what is truth and what is not truth. It's not about my opinion, not about your opinion. It's about what God says. It's his word that is truth. John 17, 17, he said, thy word is truth. He said in John 8, 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The Greek word for know there is gnosko. It's truth that that has an inception when we receive the word of God, when we receive the truth, and then it is worked out and experienced. And so he says that you will come to know as you receive the word. You will come to know in experience, in reality, the truth of it, and it will make you free. Truth is the freeing agent, but you have to face it straight on. Truth is foursquare. You can't change it. You can't just say, this is my opinion of the truth. The truth is the truth. The Bible is the word of God. And so because of it, if we want to live free, if we want to really be free and walk in that freedom and live in the purpose of God for our lives, we cannot be frustrating his purpose in our lives by constantly rebelling against his way and his word and his truth. We have to submit to him. Amen? That's so vital. Let's just ha- have a look at some scriptures together today and encourage our hearts in the Lord. Wonderful. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Well, hallelujah. Jesus has called you and me to a full and purposeful life. Amen? Amen. He really has. A life that's full. A life that's purposeful. He's called us to follow Him. The very first calling to the original disciples, and it's His calling to you and me, is that we are to follow Him. And if we follow Him, He says He will make us into something. He will make us fishers of men. So He's not called you into a life of passivity. He's called every one of us into a life of fruitfulness, into a life of real service, to be a follower of Jesus. You know, I've always found this in my life, you know, before I got more on fire for the Lord, you know, if I was just accommodating the things of God, going along to church and you know, reading my Bible a bit, praying a bit, but just not really living my life full on for Him, you know, how could I, how could I really claim to be a disciple of Jesus? I was a convert, but I needed to become a disciple. You see, 
To claim to be a disciple of the one who is the disciple maker without making disciples is a contradiction in terms. So we are all supposed to be disciple making disciples. People who are following Jesus, living a life that's worth following and leading people to Christ and making disciples of them. Handing on what Jesus is doing in our life to them so that they too can then follow Christ with all of their heart and all their life. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But if I'm not following Christ, then they've got nothing to follow from my example. Amen? Amen. So that's, it's absolutely fundamental. The Lord is stirring us up. And I, I sent to my heart tonight that there is some things the Lord is wanting to come along and take hold of some of us and shake us. I want to realize that the King is coming. The King really is coming. And you know, if, if you... I'm just going to talk very straight about this uh, tonight for a moment. You know, it, there are certain areas of the church that, you know, if... If, if you heard just what they're saying as far as the return of the Lord is concerned, you just kind of think that the whole world's going to be in glorious end time revival. Everybody's going to be saved. And then we're all going home to glory. The king's going to come and then we're all going to go. Can I just say that's not the way it's going to be? <laughs> okay. Gee, the Bible says that the wheat and the tares will grow side by side. And so I do believe the scripture talks about as we go towards the end, that actually Peter says, set your hope on the grace of God to be demonstrated, to be manifest at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to us of a great end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that is going to change you and I to be fully and finally like the Lord at his coming. Amen. And so just in that time, immediately preceding the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, he's going to get us there. But you know, at this time, this is a time to make sure, you remember the account that he spoke about, the five wise and the five foolish virgins? We need to be a people who make sure our vessels are full of oil. And that's a matter of personal devotion to Christ. You know, it's interesting that when they woke up, the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. <laughs> Now today, so much of the churches uh, I see around, everybody says, well, look, I, I just want to impart to you. I, want to, look, I believe in impartation. I believe in imparting the oil of the Spirit, if you like, to people. But let me just say something. You cannot impart your relationship with God to someone else. You, ha you have to develop that in your own secret place relationship between you and Jesus, where the oil flows strong in your life, strong and pure and powerful. Amen. Amen. And so the Lord is calling us at these, in, in these days. It's no good. You know, when they say go to those who sell, that's an interesting statement because it points out there is a cost to staying full of oil. There is a cost. It's not free. The way to go into his presence has been made by the blood of Jesus. That's free. But it costs something to your flesh to pursue God and obtain the oil. The oil is flowing. It's there in the secret place. But you need, we all do, you, me, all of us, to keep our vessels full of the oil of the Holy Spirit so that we shine brightly in what is 
becoming an increasingly dark age where the Bible says we will shine out like stars in the sky brightly as we hold fast the word of truth, the word of life. Glory to God. Amen. So we really are seeing a wheat and, and, and tear situation. Even right now, as you, as you, I don't know if you're aware of what's happened in the national church right now. You know, certainly in the Church of England, I think it's been going on in the Church of Wales for a while. Um, you know, but the whole issue of gay marriage, the whole issue of so-called blessings of same-sex unions and stuff like that. Can I say it's easy to look at some denominations that are, have been going that way for a few years now and, and kind of go tut-tut about that. But at the same time as that, let me say that the, that the silence in some churches that are Pentecostal, that are charismatic, that are evangelical addressing such issues... And even some of the immorality that, that goes on amongst the church yeah. is just as sinful. Yeah. And just as God, and I would say in, in this day, you know, if there are things that the Lord is doing, you know, in, in our time, and He is, He's calling us to greater prayer. He's calling us to greater purity. He's calling us to bold, uncompromising preaching and teaching of the Word of God that is straight down the line. Straight down the line. There's a whole generation, actually, uh, uh, Wade and I were talking about this just before we came in. They're calling the new generation that is growing up at the moment the truth generation. <laughs> the generation of those who are seeking after truth because they've had so many years of lies that have been fed to them through media, through education. They are desperate to know the truth. God is going to use the deception and the lies that have been fed into uh, to the kids that are teenagers and kids that are coming through our educational system to make them desperate. Do you know something? Years ago, I, I can remember going to preach the gospel in Eastern Europe when um, just after the, the communist war the, came down. And when that, the Berlin Wall came down, I can remember going to preach the gospel in communist nations where they had been told for years and years and years there was no God. They were like people gasping for air. They knew in their heart of hearts that God was real and that they was there. They just didn't know how to get to him. And so as we began to preach the gospel, it was like they were coming up fair. People were coming to Jesus. And, you know, honestly, you just stand on the street corner and just proclaim Jesus, even if it wasn't a very anointed message, even if it really, you know, you didn't feel you did very well. You'd be having 40, 60 people just come out of the crowd and give the love to Christ. People walk away with crutches under their arms. Hundreds were turning to the Lord. Then thousands were turning to the Lord. And God was moving all over Eastern Europe. And it just gave a proliferation of new churches is being planted and God moving because people were desperate. I believe right now that actually in the midst of a society full of lies and deception, the stage is being set for a move of the Spirit of God because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And He's going to pour out and people are going to come gasping out for the truth and the power of God and the reality of who He is. But if God is going to move like that and He is going to move like that, Who's he going to use to do it? Anybody else? Some of you are not too sure. Well, hopefully by the end of tonight, you will be. Because actually, even, even here in this place, and even over these days, 
I believe that the Spirit of God, and even in the church, the Spirit of God is drawing a line right down the middle and saying, who's for truth, who's not? Who's for truth, who's not? That's what he's doing. And I'll tell you why he's doing it. Because I prophesy to you, another new wave of God is going to come in this church and through this church and he's preparing you for it. And there's some shaking going on right now. And there's some shaking because actually he's shaking to see actually where people are really at. And he wants to shake some, some dirt off. He wants to shake, get rid of some stuff. He's exposing some stuff. He's shaking some stuff. And some of you may feel a little shaken from it. And do you know what? It's okay. If you can be shaken, it's, a, it's an indication to you that some things are not where they should be. And you need to dig your deeps more, dig your roots more deeply into truth and deeper surrender to him so that actually the foundation is really strong ready for his glory to come and bring a greater wave I tell you it's coming I tell you it's coming mark my words it's coming and he wants to prepare your heart and prepare you to be ready for it you need to be ready you need to be ready and that's a place of surrender and the Lord will use every single one who surrenders and is ready for him to do what he wants to do. And with it will come a dimension of power. I want to say he's right at the very door. Listen, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, these are the days that we are living in. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul spoke to the church that he actually planted in Thessalonica. And he spoke to them about their coming a great apostasy, a great falling away. I would suggest to you that we are in that era right now. I really believe that. I know that in my, in my heart. He spoke to the church there that was so convinced that the coming of the Lord was right round the corner that some of them even stopped working. Some wouldn't be, some, you know, you would say some business people would stop investing. Some people would stop building. Some people would stop working. You know, and people would just kind of, well, what's the point of doing anything? What's the point of, of progressing anything or doing anything more? If Jesus is coming tomorrow, let's. And Paul basically said to them, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. You need to go for it now with all of your heart more than ever before following Christ, praying, making your life count, investing. And, and I don't just mean financially, but I mean everything that is about your life. For God and growing the kingdom, you need to be doing that. Jesus said, blessed will the servant be who when he returns, he is active and he's building and he's using the talents that has been given to him. Blessed will that one be. It will be good for that one. That was the verse that kept me out of Bible college, by the way. <laughs> and got me on the field. Not the Bible college is wrong. Bible college is great. God sends you there. You better go there. But nonetheless, the thing is, is that, is that Jesus sent me to get out there and preach the gospel. And so I've been doing it for, for 36 years now. It's unbelievable. I think in four years' time, I will have been 40 years full-time preaching the gospel. I feel like, how is that even possible? I feel far too young for that. <laughs> You're all supposed to say, I look it. But anyway, never mind. But, but here's the thing. You know, Christ is coming again and we need to be ready for the Lord. 
But here's the thing is that Paul says, actually, there's going to be a great falling away, a great apostasy. And this is the remarkable thing where he says, you know, before the man of lawlessness comes, it will be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. But he says that in this, that the reason why there's going to be a great falling away is this, because the Lord will send upon people, the Lord will send upon people a great delusion because they failed to receive the love of the truth. Derek Prince used to say, you love God as much as you love his word. That much and no more. Yeah, I, I, I'll be really honest with you. When my beautiful wife Elaine and I were going out, Elaine was living in, in, in Scotland at the time. And, uh, and she, was, she was there near Glasgow in, in Prestwick. And, um, and she was serving uh, up there, you know, helping to run a Montessori school in a very poor state, having to give free education to some of the poorest kids around in the community. And then from that, they were sharing the gospel. And as she was up there, I was all the way down in Surrey, in, in, in England. And so the thing is, is you know, it's a bit of a long distance relationship. Uh, you know, and she, it was in the days, you know, actually, we, email had only just been invented. Can you imagine that? But email had only just been invented. So we were still primarily sending snail mail. So we were sending letters. And I would send a letter to Elaine and I would wait for days for a reply. And five days to a week later, a letter would come back to me for the reply. And I tell you something, when I would read those letters, I would read them again and again and again and again. Some of the letters today have brown edges where my fingers used to hold them, where I would read them. I would read them and read them and read them and read them and read them because I was getting every little bit of love out of them. Yeah, I had it bad. <laughs> But the fact about it is, is that, man, if you've never had that, you haven't lived. But I'll tell you something, I, 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 really, I was so in love with her. And, uh, and, you know, and that's why I love to read her letters. And I want to say to you, you know, if you don't read the Bible, you need to check your pulses for where your love for God is. If we fail to receive the love of the truth and his word is truth, the Bible says we'll be subject to a great delusion. The stuff that's happening in the national churches is because they have failed to receive the love of the truth. That's why. That's why. And brother says, I want to encourage you in these days to guard your heart. This is not a time to cool down. This is a time to hot up heat up, get stirred up, press into God, go in more after him. Amen? Amen. It really is such a time. What does the enemy use to get the word out of people's lives? Well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, he uses the deceitfulness of riches. Look, as I speak these things out, if the cap fits, just wear it. We're going to have a time of repentance at the end. Deceitfulness of riches. That means, you know, the belief somehow if I had more money, I'd be happy. Constantly after more money. It's what the word covetousness actually means in its very base form, the desire for more. The deceitfulness of riches is something that the enemy uses, Jesus said, to get the word out of people's hearts. Lusts or desires after other things. 
the worries or anxieties of this life. These are the things that Satan uses to get the word of God out of our hearts. You know, it's faith that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But how does faith come? It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you don't, if you're not constantly listening to, receiving, reading the word, letting faith be strong on the inside of you, you're going to have an issue with overcoming the world. So we need to be those who are feeding our hearts with Scripture. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. The end times, Jesus said, are going to be like Sodom. And Peter said they're also going to be like the flood. Use an analogy there. That right up to the last day before the flood came, people were marrying and giving, mar- giving in marriage. They were just you know, carrying on, enjoying life, doing their own thing, doing business, ignoring what Noah was warning them of, of a great flood that was to come. You know, the very fact that everybody mocked Noah for what he was doing. Here was an area, here was, here was land where there had not been rain for years and years and years. So actually one, what he was doing must have stood out like a sore thumb. But he did it by faith because he heard from God. And as he's doing that in sheer obedience, how many of you know he must have absolutely stuck out? Absolutely. He was so going against the grain. Everything he said went against the grain. And yet, when the water came, when the rains opened and the earth opened up and everything happened, everybody would have been desperate to get into that ark. But God closed the door. It's actually used as a biblical picture of water baptism, incidentally. I think it's a beautiful picture. Jesus is the ark. And we go into him and he closes the, he closes the door on the judgment of this world, on the sins of the world. He saves us. And let me tell you, if God closes the door on your life, the door is closed. The old is gone and the new has come. We mustn't look back. We're saved from the judgment that is on this world. We live in Christ and we're going after him. But there's a real warning here as well to live in Christ. Amen? Amen. The scripture also says that the end will be like Sodom. All kinds of gross uh, sexuality, rebellion against God and against God-ordained authority and God's order, perversion. All of those things will, will be happening towards the end. We are in those days today. The evangelist who trained me in the ministry, Don Double, he used to say this, if God doesn't judge the UK for, what they are, for the line that is being taken about homosexuality and all of that, he said, if God doesn't judge the UK for that, he'll have to raise up Sodom and apologize to them. And you know, so we are in a, We are in a serious era. But the scripture tells us that all of this will come and is coming before the end. It's a remarkable thing, but that's where we're at. We are right. I don't know how many of you have been watching the news lately. I guess you all do. But let me say this to you. I believe the Lord is wanting to bring everything into order in our lives and that we are ready, that we are ready for the coming of the King. I don't know how much you know your prophetic scriptures. You read Ezekiel 38 and 39 of the Gog-Magog war and all of that. Uh, for me, you know, when I started to see on the news and see Hamas and see Iran, 
standing there talking to Putin, I saw the, and, and then tanks coming through and soldiers coming through Syria, and all of the other stuff, and then Turkey suddenly saying that if, you know, if Israel doesn't stop what they're doing with Gaza, that they would get involved. You know something, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Istanbul, current day, modern day Istanbul today is, is ancient Sardis. And when, and when Jesus spoke to the church in Sardis, he said, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. So when the nations around, I remember years and years ago, just as a little by the way, out of interest, but many years ago, I went to Israel, I've been to Israel several times, and I can remember standing on Mount Carmel, looking over Megiddo, and looking over the, the, the valley of Armageddon, it's huge, absolutely huge. You can understand what the scripture talks about Armageddon. And, I, you know, and the nations coming down there to impose their will upon Israel. And then the king coming back. And I can remember, you know, as I stood there, I was looking there. And there was a, uh, and the guy leading us was an Israeli major. Uh, he was the guy who led the crack Israeli paratroop unit through the gates of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. A remarkable sense, of prof a prophetic sense around him, even though he wasn't yet saved. And, uh, you know, I can remember listening to him and he would say to me, you know, he said, some of your groups, some of the groups that come over here, he used to, he used to take Ronald Reagan around, you know, he used to take Margaret Thatcher around doing tours of Israel. And there we are with him and he would say this to us. He would say, you know, I said, some Christian groups come and I take them around. And he said, they say they are Christians. He said, but I, I don't know. He said, but those of you who say you are born again, you are different. He says, you say you have a personal relationship with the Lord. He says, when God speaks to Israel, he speaks through prophets, priests, and kings. He says, none of us have a personal relationship, but a personal relationship with the Lord. He says, sometimes I think that would be wonderful. And then he would suddenly, he could see I was about to jump in. This, but we don't talk about it now. He would say like this. But anyway, the thing is, nonetheless, he would say, he, would say, he says, many he says, of the Christians, they have the view that the Antichrist will come from a confederacy of nations in Europe. In Israel, we don't see that. But he says, we see that the Antichrist will come, and he points over to Iran. And honestly, when you look at it, a confederacy of Arab nations around Israel. I don't know about you, when I, when I first saw ISIS taking off heads left, right, and center, I couldn't help but think of revelations. I think of Islam. Because Antichrist doesn't mean, in, you know, it doesn't mean against Christ, it means instead of Christ. I just want to say to you, you know, when I began to see all these things on the news, I thought, this is, um, we are certainly coming towards the end. Things are speeding up. They are really speeding up. And church, we, we need to be ready. We really need to be getting ready. And stirring our hearts because the King is coming. Glory to God. And I, and I want to say this to you. It really is time to bring our believing and our lives into the order of the King. And really, I came tonight I wanted to speak to you about a life of faith. And, uh, but that does involve repentance. That God is calling us to humility, to repentance, to faith. 
repentance of that which is past and with faith for that which is to come, putting our faith in him and for all that he is promising because there is a new wave to come. And so look, turn with me to Romans chapter one for a moment. I'm going to try and accelerate here and, uh, and just speak some encouragement into you before we pray tonight. But Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one. Because actually over these uh, three meetings that I have with you, I want to talk to you about a life of faith. Really about a life of faith. And what we see in Romans here is Paul is really on, on a, a life of adventure of faith in God, called by divine purpose and grace. And he's called you and I into that same adventure in the gospel. And so Romans chapter 1 verse 8, he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, so that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Notice the way he keeps talking here about faith. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit amongst you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is, or by faith from first to last, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. You know, uh, I, I want to say this to you. God is calling every one of us to a lifestyle of believing that is from faith from first to last. Amen? We don't just start by faith and then somehow drift along in a purposeless sort of way. A faith-filled life is an intentional life. That's really important. It's a focused life. It's a life where we live our life for Christ and for the things of Christ, listening to him, walking in step with him, pursuing his purpose, pursuing his calling. We are, we're a people who stir ourselves up in God and we go after him. That's a faith-filled life. Amen? And so God is calling each one of us to that kind of a lifestyle, this faith that overcomes the world. I mean, Paul actually quotes her even from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. We know it's the verse that started the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. Well, that phrase shall live in Hebrew is chayah. And it's a very broad word. It means not only to live, but it, it means they will recover health. They will breathe. They will live. They will be animated and alive. They will live in happiness. Can I just say for a minute, I, I, I've learned over the years that faith-filled people are happy people. Honestly. I find people who, are, who have a low faith level, but they have a low faith level because then they haven't got the revelation of the word. 
And so they don't immerse themselves in Scripture. They don't immerse themselves in the Word of God. They're not listening to the Word. They're not hearing the Word. They're not speaking the Word. They're not meditating on the Word. And so because of that, you know, there's just faith isn't kicking off on the inside of them all the time. And that means that because of that, they, you know, they tend to relate to God through a filter of the world around them rather than filtering the world through the revelation of the Word of God, which is the truth. And you can either face this world and, and face the world by, by living from the inside out through faith in the word of God because the kingdom of God is within you. And so you dominate the external from the truth of the word of God in your heart, believing it and speaking it, or you let the outside world dominate you. It's going to be one way or the other. There is no neutrality. Yes. You either overcome the world or the world overcomes you. It's that simple. Amen. Amen. So we, we can't afford to be drifters. I'm going to say that again because there are some drifters here tonight. You need to stop drifting with the world. And you need to wake up. Some here need a sort of, you know, a spiritual slap, you know, in love. <laughs> I say, come on, wake up. Wake up. Because there's a, there's a seducing, deceiving spirit that is operating in the world, particularly strong at this time. As if it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live. It really matters how you live. It matters that you love people. It matters that you love the church. That you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you'll love what he loves. And he loves his bride. He loves his church. Speak well of the church. Okay, so Claire said amen. Uh, can I say again, speak well of the church. Listen, creationally, God created man to represent him in the world. To speak his authority, to exercise his rule, his reign, his kingdom in the earth. And that means that what you say has power. So wherever you have authority, you have power. You do by the very fact you're a human being made in the image of God. Now here's the thing. When you submit to God, you release God's authority through your mouth. When you align your mouth with his will and his word. And that releases blessing in your life. It does. It releases blessing. It releases the salvation of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart, it says, Man, if you, be you believe in your heart and you are justified. Declared not guilty, declared righteous by God. Okay? Man believes unto righteousness, but he confesses unto salvation. And the word salvation there in Greek means to be saved, to be freed from apprehension and fear, to be delivered, to be healed. It speaks of the full orb provision of God for our lives in salvation. And so when we believe the word, specifically what Jesus has done for us in his death and in his resurrection, as we are proclaiming that, then we release the power of that in our lives by believing it in our heart and speaking it in our mouth. And that's not something you just do as a one-off when you give your life to Christ. It's actually to be a lifestyle. The lifestyle of the victorious believer is one that is rooted in faith in the finished work of Christ and declares it into every situation of life. Amen. 
And that means also that you speak that of his church. Your brothers and sisters around here and the leaders who lead you are those who are also redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And you need to be speaking the blessing, the salvation, the goodness of God, the encouragement of God over each other and over your leaders and over the destiny of the body of Christ that he has put you in. Amen. There's power in that. Satan is the accuser who wants to pull the church down. But when the church stands up and agrees with Christ and not the accuser, then the church grows. Amen. And it's so easy, isn't it, in a challenging time to go with the negative flow and speak. You know, years ago, I, I, believe it or not, I was a pastor at one time in my life. And, um, yeah, anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> but let me just say, you know, when I was a pastor, sometimes I would have people come up to me in the congregation, and they would come up to me and they'd say, John, we, 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 you know, we believe the Lord has shown us something about the church. And, you know, what's wrong with the church? So I, I would say, okay, and? So then they would tell me. And I said, okay, now tell me something I don't know. Okay? Honestly, do we think our leaders don't know? Don't you think they're seeking God for you? Do you think they're praying and crying out to the Lord for his best, for his body? Of course they are. Of course they are. So... I would always say to them then, listen, can I just give you a little word of advice? It's very easy to think that we're spiritual because we pick up where problems are. I said, it's, it's, you know, that's okay. But it's not very deep spirituality. You, you, may, you may think you're being discerning. Uh, and, you know, and fine, okay? So you recognize a problem. Great. I said, I don't, I'm not really interested in that unless you come with a solution. Yeah. So I say, if all you can do is that this is the shallow level of discernment, you recognize the problem. But unless you've gone deeper to seek God for the answer and intercede and speak truth and stand in faith with us to overcome what the enemy is trying to bring about, I'm not interested to hear about the problem. Yeah. Amen. And you know, uh, of course, that doesn't make you popular when you talk that way as a pastor, you know. But can I say it is the truth? So it, it, we really do need to stand. Listen, you are here by divine appointment and you can stand shoulder to shoulder against the enemy and push him back. Amen. 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 Or you can go with his negative flow and become part of the problem. Well, I don't know about you. I, I want to be part of the answer. The Bible says wisdom builds her house. I want to just say this to you, you know, if you want to build your family, if you want to build your marriage, build it with your tongue. Build it with your actions. Don't tear it down by being negative and accusing your partner. Speak encouragement. Speak love. Serve. Pray for them. Amen? Amen. And if you know that the things they're complaining about and the things that they are saying are not true, don't agree with them thinking that that's being loving. That's not being loving. Stand up and say, Listen, I, you know, I can't agree with that. But I'm praying for you and I love you. 
Let's pursue truth together. Amen. And husbands, please, you're supposed to lead your wife in that area. Now that went down like a lead balloon, didn't it? Let me just say that to you for a moment, okay? Listen, you may think I'm being old-fashioned, but it's biblical. Because again, I, in my spirit, I feel the enemy is after some marriages. And so I want to just say this. Listen, this is biblical order. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now look, that headship is not a dominating. It is leadership, however. It is to be a self-denying, a loving leadership. As an example, Jesus laid down his life for the church. But nonetheless, the husband is the head of the wife. Now there is some teaching out there in the church, church world out there that would like to kind of remove that and would like us to believe that actually the headship, that it just means a source, like a fountainhead of a river. The problem of that is when the Apostle Paul uses that in 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, he says this, the head of the woman is man. Now, of course, he's particularly talking about woman. That doesn't mean that the man is the head of every woman, but it's very particular about the wife. That's what the Greek there means, his, his wife. So he's not the head of every woman, but he is the head of his wife. So man is the head of his wife. Okay, Christ is the head of man, and God the Father is the head of Christ. So if, if we're just going to say that the man is the source of the woman, but there's no authority structure there, well, then we have to also apply that to Jesus. So suddenly Jesus is no longer the head of his church, really has nothing to say to us just for the way we live. He's just our source. And then the Father is the source of Jesus. But, you know, not really the head. I mean... But didn't Jesus say the Father is greater than I and the world must see that I always do what the Father tells me? Isn't there a headship there? Isn't there, a, there a, isn't there authority there? There is authority there, but it is authority to serve. It is an authority to lead. And therefore, husbands, please, even if you have a strong wife, you need to be strong too in who you are. Don Double used to say, husbands, you do not need your wife's permission to be the head of your home. God made you the head of your home. But that doesn't mean also that you walk into your home after a meeting like this and say to your wife, I want you to know I'm the head of it. <laughs> you know, we'll pray for your healing tomorrow. You know? <laughs> but, I, but, but at the same time, I, I just want to say to you that, you know, Don used to say this. I think it's really good. He used to say, you know, that when the Bible says husbands love your wives, it means wives close your ears. Because this is an instruction from God to the husband, not an instruction from the husband to the wife. So the, so the wife loving her husband, so sorry, the husband loving his wife is unto the Lord. Okay. That's important because, you know, sometimes our emotions, they can go like that. So sometimes you can feel amazingly in love. And the next day, it's, you may not feel that way. This may surprise you, but the emotion of romantic love medically can even be determined by what you had for dinner last night. So you don't build. You have to use your head in matters of your heart. Amen? 
You should have plenty of lovey feelings, but at the same time, it has to be more than that. The cross is the greatest demonstration of love in the history of the world. And the cross was painful. So that means there's a love that is a laying down one's life for the other. Okay? So that's, that's fundamental. And the husband is to, is to love his wife with the same sort of love that Christ demonstrated for his church. And that doesn't mean for the wife to be turning to him and say, you know, oh, you, know you ought to be loving me as Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> it's for the man to ensure he's obeying the Lord in loving his wife as Christ loved the church. But that doesn't mean, does it, that Christ has to agree with his church about everything. True? Part of loving his church is that he leads his church in truth and righteousness. Amen. And at the same time as that, when the word of God tells us, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, well, that doesn't mean you know, that means at that moment, husbands close your ears. Because the wife's submission to her husband is unto the Lord. And the word submission means literally to arrange one's life under. It comes from a root of an attitude. It's, both a, it's, it's a word that, means, that has both an attitude and an action. The attitude is I'm seeking to be persuaded by. I want to be persuaded by. And then the second one means to arrange one's life under leadership. It's the word that's used for eldership, submit to your elders. It's also the word that is used for wives, submit to your husbands. It's actually the word also that's used for submitting to government. The only thing that we must know about this that's really important as well is that authority is, is not inherent. Authority is delegated. All authority comes from God. And therefore, of course, when the Bible does not expect this. God does not expect us to submit to something that is ungodly, unloving, unrighteous, that is unlike him. Amen? So that's, that is, that's biblical, that's important. You know, if the government starts saying to us, you know, you have to do X, Y, and Z that is out of line with Scripture, we have to obey the king and not the government. But as long as they're in line with Scripture, we submit to those aspects because all authority comes from God. Amen glory well i believe that the lord is wanting to do a work in some hearts and some homes and some marriages some lives here and we're going to bring things into order we're going to put our trust in him and i would just say this for me i'm, I'm going to read one passage of scripture that can be that i believe is both relevant to us tonight in terms of the lord restoring in, in across the board in our relationships in our souls in freedom but also in restoration of healing so look turn with me if you will to mark chapter 2 verse 1 to 12 We'll just, just share about this for 10 minutes and then we're going to have a time of prayer and ministry and let the Holy Spirit touch our lives. God is calling us to a life of faith. He's calling us to a life of breakthrough and of, of miracles. Hallelujah. It's a work of grace in our lives and we say yes and amen to him. Amen. Okay, let's look at this together. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Jesus was a preacher. Amen. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. 
And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Can I just say right now, you know, obviously it took faith for the man to let his friends take him up there on the roof. So he's, you know, Jesus saw their faith. You can see faith. You can see it. James said, I will show you my faith by what I do. You may have heard me tell you this story before, but I can remember uh, years ago, I was preaching in a church that was called an evangelical free church. And thankfully, they were free. <laughs> Some people have got the name over the door, but not in their experience. But this church was a free church. And anyway, I was preaching away there on a Sunday night. And as I was preaching, uh, I was going up and down. I, I noticed that right on the back, the place was packed. And in that church, it kind of had rows that went up like this, higher and higher. And there's sort of decks like that. And on the top of the last deck, there was a man in his 70s. And he was very smartly dressed. And I saw that he was watching me like absolutely like an eagle. And uh, it, it really was like Wimbledon. He was watching me go like this as I was preaching up and down. And so anyway, eventually, well, when I gave the appeal and just opened things up for ministry, suddenly I saw this man start coming down, down the steps towards me. And this is the way he was walking. Like this. Anyway, he comes up to me and I suddenly noticed there was a real glint of light in his eyes. And uh, he looked very determined. I, I really sort of braced myself inwardly. I thought he was going to correct me or just going to go for me in some way. So I, so I kind of braced myself. And then he said, Jonathan. I said, sir, how can I help you? He said, I've had a stroke. He said, down my right side. I can't move my right arm, my right leg. And the doctors say they can't do anything for me. And they looked into my eyes and there was light in his eyes. And he said to me, but I have faith. And I said, good, so do I. I said, let me grab your hand. And I grabbed hold of his hand. As I grabbed hold of his hand, the anointing of God was in manifestation in that meeting. And I remember as I grabbed hold of his hand, it was like, it was like suddenly being a, sticking a plug into a socket. And the power of God suddenly flowed between us. And he began to shake and shake like this. And suddenly he went under the power of God. And literally, and I'm not kidding, he was flipping and flopping like a fish on the, on the floor. you know. And so if you've ever done any fishing out in the sea, I don't know. But he's flipping and flopping like a fish. Well, anyway, so I, I, you know, I just thought to myself well, that I would, you know, I would leave him flipping and flopping. So I, that's what I did. And so I went on. I carried on praying for people. At the end of the meeting, it's one of those churches where they like to have you at the door, you know, the visiting speaker, just say, hope you enjoyed the service, you know. And so I was, I was there at the end of the service. Suddenly I see the guy, he comes towards me and he reaches out his hand. I noticed he was walking totally normal and his arm was totally normal and he reached out and he, great, and he shook my hand with his right arm and hand as strong as, as anyone had ever shaken my hand. And, uh, and he said, I'm totally healed, John, praise the Lord. He went away. Anyway, six months later, I remember that um, I went back for a follow-up visit and that church, actually its doors open up onto a big open green and it was in the summer. And so they open up the doors at the end and again, I was, at the, I was there saying good, you know, goodbye to people, I hope you enjoy the service. 
And I'm standing there with the pastor, and suddenly this guy, he's still there, and he comes, he's all smartly dressed. He shakes my hand again, still totally healed. And then I notice he goes out, and there were some young lads who were kicking a football out on the green. And he went out there, and uh, as he goes out there, they're kicking this ball right in between. It's flying across, and suddenly this kind of 72-year-old suddenly runs, and he jumps in midair, and he brings the ball straight down like that. And I suddenly watched this kind of 15- and 16-year-old boy go, they were staggered at him, watching him, and, and, uh, and, and he turned to them, and, and I'm watching, I'm, I'm amazed too, and I'm looking at that, and, uh, and he suddenly turned to the young lads, he said, he says, gentlemen, if you want to know the key to good football, it's not power, it's all about control, <laughs> and then he knocked it back, and we said, have a fine day, and off, and off he went, so I turned to the pastor, and said, my goodness, who is that guy? And he said, John, he's a remarkable man. That man was the first man to bring English FIFA football training tactics to Europe. So I said, he, he's, a, he's a remarkable fellow, an amazing man, but totally healed by the power of God. You could see the faith in him. In the same way that with these men, when they lowered Jesus, lowered, lowered this man through the, in front of Jesus, Jesus saw their faith, the Bible says. And when he saw their faith, he said, to him, he went right to the root of his paralysis, which happened to be guilt. Do you know something? The human psyche was not built to live with guilt or bitterness, shame, unforgiveness. The human psyche was created to live in peace, in love, in freedom. Amen. And it's amazing, it's interesting that, um, that, the, that the scripture actually says in Proverbs that bitterness dries the bones. So when we can't forgive others, and actually we can, but we choose not to. If we choose not to, to forgive others, we allow bitterness, the root of bitterness, to become entrenched in our hearts. And we won't forgive ourselves either as God has forgiven us. If we don't embrace the grace of forgiveness towards ourselves and towards others, the Bible says that sooner or later it will have a physical effect. So many people we find through the years have had problems in their mental health, their soul, their emotions, or in their body because they refuse to forgive or to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is so key to our wholeness and well-being, not only for us personally, but for our relationships. And the whole of life. Forgiveness is one of the greatest demonstrations of love. You know the great writer Mark Twain. I don't know if you remember Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said this. Forgiveness is the, f is the fragrance of the flower left on the heel of the one who crushed it. What a statement. That we bless those who curse us. We forgive. We love. We choose to bless. It brings release. It brings healing. Jesus speaks forgiveness to this man. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes, their religious lawyers, were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed 
and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God saying we never saw anything like this. Wonderful. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling us all to an adventure of faith. He's calling this church to new adventures of faith. How many of you know that repentance is part of the faith-filled life? Repentance in Scripture is both initial and ongoing. It was the first word of the gospel when Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Derek Prince used to say, without true repentance, there can never be true faith. And you know why? Because at the end of the day, right at the root of faith is, faith is believing God. It is submitting to what God has said is the truth. And when we believe what God says and submit to it, faith is born in our hearts. But when we exalt our opinion above God's word, we can't have faith. So that's why repentance is, is the other side of faith. It's a dual, it's a double-sided coin, if you like. Repentance and faith work together. So I submit to God away from my opinion, my ways, my thinking, my, you know, my lifestyle, my rebellion, my wants. My, I submit to God to go his way, his truth, his thinking, his values, his. And when I do that, then I start, I can, I start believing as he says, that what he says is the truth. And then I start living in freedom. Oh, everything that he promised starts to manifest in my life as I bring my, line, my life into line with his order, with his kingdom, his rule, his reign. Suddenly that reign begins to manifest in my life. I'll tell you what, this even affects our physical brains, our thinking, everything. I prayed for a nine-year-old girl in Kingston who, with, uh, with autism. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, they brought to me. She had only a number of months before. She was nine years old. The parents didn't even know the Lord. The little girl didn't know the Lord. But they brought her along. She was diagnosed by Great Ormond Street, uh, you know, Children's Hospital. It's the top children's hospital in, in the UK. And they had taken that. She had x-rays, everything, major autism. Anyway, I remember just laying hands on her. And literally, this is all I did. I speak peace into this brain, the peace of God. Well, in Scripture, peace, shalom, speaks of the order of God. How many of you know that when your life is in order, there's more peace? True? But if you live a life that's out of order, then you feel stressed and etc., etc. So here's the thing. But the peace of God is internal. It's not dependent on perfect circumstances. But it's internal. And what it should start to do is to order our lives, order our thinking as we walk with God. And so we start to think like him and then we have more ordered lives. And, and all of that brings a life of wholeness and peace in us as we're living for Christ and serving others with his love and his truth and the grace and the gospel. And so the thing is, is that um, I remember that's all I did. I laid hands on it. I spoke peace, divine order into this brain. Anyway, Three months later, I got a letter from the pastor of that church saying to me, John, do you remember you laid hands on a nine-year-old girl when you visited our church who had serious autism? 
I said, yes, I do. I said, what about it? He said, well, she had a follow-up meeting about a, number of, of, about a month or two after you laid hands on her. And, and it was really interesting because the parents got in touch with us to tell us what happened. Apparently, her whole behavior changed over the following months. And when they, she went in for this follow-up meeting, they took fresh x-rays of, of the brain and all the rest of it, MRIs, whatever they do. And then the consultant invited them in. Now, bear in mind, again, these parents, they didn't know Jesus. But it brought the, you know, the consultant asked them to sit with them after the MRIs, the x-rays, whatever it is. They sat down and he just asked them, he said, can I ask you if you've had anything done to your daughter? You had any treatments or anything since I last saw you? And they said, no, no. And then suddenly the mother said, um, actually, she said, come to think of it, there was one thing. I don't know if it's of any significance, but we went along to a church and the preacher laid his hands on her and, and, and just said, peace to you. That's all. That's all it was. And he said, well, look, I don't know what to make of this, but can I just show you? Here's the diagnosis x-ray, and it, and it showed the channels of the brain all kind of crisscrossing and different stuff like this. And they said, now look at this one after that preacher prayed. And it showed the perfect channels of, of the brain all in order. And he just said, I, he said, your child seems to be totally at peace here and in order. They said, yes, she's completely changed. Everything's changed. He said, well, all I want to say to you is your child is no longer autistic totally healed it was beautiful and so i you know i just want to say it's to peace is to do with divine order and i want to say that god is god is wanting to establish afresh his order in your lives his order in your relationships his order in your marriage his order in your family his order in the church and his order brings peace, brings wholeness. The government of God, the kingdom of God, Paul said in Romans 14, 17, is righteousness, which speaks of rightness, being right with God. Brings peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting order, isn't it? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's very hard to live a life full of joy when there's tension at home, when there's tension in the marriage, there's tension in the family. Selfishness is the biggest killer of marriage and of healthy relationships. Selfishness. It's not 50-50. A successful marriage is 100% give on both sides. The world says a successful marriage is give and take. No, it's not. It's give and give. And give and give. 100% giving on both sides. It's very quiet around here. But that's what it is. And that's what the Lord calls us to. Jesus laid his life down. And so, look, I, I, I'm really, I, I really didn't intend to preach all this tonight. I just want to say to you, I, I really came here tonight to, to preach a good faith-building, zipping message <laughs> of faith and healing and, and go for it. Do you know not all healing is physical? And when we surrender to God and go His way, healing starts flowing in our life. Flows in our mind, flows in our emotions. My goodness, then the peace comes, the joy comes. Wonderful. And actually be amazed how your physical body responds to that. 
It's true. Yeah. So today, we're going to pray. And look, I, I just want to ask, I'm going to ask you straight out right now. First of all, before we pray for believers here, is there anyone here today that you, that you recognize say, John, the truth is, I'm not sure that I'm forgiven, that I'm saved and that I'm going to heaven, but I want to be sure. I want to give my life to Christ. The Bible says simply, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Notice how many times it says you, you and your. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Five yous and yours. It's all personal. Anybody here need to do that? Quickly raise your hand. We'll pray for you. I recognize everybody here, so I'm not surprised there's no hands up. Okay, so look, what I'm going to say here is this. Is how many of you recognize that there is an area of disorder going on in your life at the moment? Okay, let's just really... Okay, there's disorder. There's fear, or there's guilt, there's shame, there's rebellion, there's sin. Maybe things actually have not been right in your marriage. Maybe there's things going on also personally in your life, in the secret place. God wants our secret place to be a place of joy and strength and infusion of, of his own life instead of a place of shame. So I want to say that if there is disorder right now in your life, in your marriage, maybe there's things that you know you've been saying, you shouldn't have been saying, things you shouldn't have been doing, but actually right now in this place, you're saying, you know what, here are the three things. I repent that does involve confession as well. I repent. I believe. I'm going to choose to start believing the truth of what God says. And I confess. Jesus is Lordship. I confess sin if I need to and turn away from it. And I'm also going to choose to forgive as, I'm being, as I've been forgiven. I'm going to believe his forgiveness of me. I'm going to forgive others as he's forgiven me. I'm going to show them the same grace as he's been showing me. I'm going to bring my life into order right now under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now look, if that's you, I want you just to stand up where you are and we're going to pray about this together. Okay? You are here and there's a number of you who need to stand and sort some things out. You need to make some choices. Tonight is about choices. You're going to cross the line. You're going to say, whose side am I on? I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to be on the side of truth. I want to get my life in order now and not be living like the world. Yeah. Not living like the world. Not believing like the world. Okay. God's going to really do something in your life over these next days and weeks. <coughs> be ready for it. I, I want to encourage you over the next few days... Some of you need to sit before the Lord with a piece of paper and a pen and just say, Father, examine my heart. You know Psalm 139, where David said, examine my heart, Lord. Test my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I invite your examination. We're not doing a witch hunt. We're not getting all introspective, but we're saying, Jesus, here is my heart. Here is my life. Will you come and will you put your finger on things? You're obviously standing because different ones of you have felt you, you know there's some things that are out of order 
and you're just and you're responding to the Holy Spirit who's prodding that area. That's really good. But I want to encourage you to do this before the Lord and sit and say, Father, I'm asking you to come and examine my heart. I'm asking you to help me to bring this area that's been out of order into order. And examine the scriptures that 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 you know that address those areas. And start meditating on them and praying over them and asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, I want my mind to be renewed to think like this, your word, which is truth. So that actually, because, you know, at the end of the right believing leads to right behavior. Wrong believing leads to wrong behavior. So what we need to do is to go back to what we believe about something. So we've got to go to the truth, which is the word of God. So we're going to go into these areas. So I really want to encourage you to do that over the following days. Sit down before the Lord and write those areas down and then start looking at scriptures that cover the area that you're standing for today. And there may be other areas too that he shows you and write it down and follow up what he tells you to do. He may say to you, go to that brother and ask for forgiveness. Go to that leader and say, forgive me, this has been outlined. Uh, pray for me about this. You know, it may be something that the Lord says to you, Say to your wife, I'm really sorry. And just, you may even say to you, you don't need to say anything, just change. Just change and start doing the opposite to what you've been doing. Amen? Okay. So guys, look, I, I'm not asking you to come up to me and to tell me anything right now, but what I am doing here is this. I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments here just to lift your hands to the Lord, to give him that area. Give him that area. Pray and talk to him about it right now. Surrender it to him. Surrender it to him. I'm just going to welcome the Holy Spirit to come minister to us and amongst us here. This has been a different sort of meeting, but this is important. It's laying up a foundation what the Lord wants to do over the next few meetings. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your presence here. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and to do your work here, to come and bring your order, to come and to bring forth, Lord, the repentance that is, Father, even in evidence, Lord, as different ones of us are standing here before you and before one another and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I've, I've been out of order in this area of my life and I repent. Forgive me. I come into your, your order, Lord. I submit to you. I renounce rebellion. I renounce self-will. I yield to your will. I yield to your way. Jesus, I'm going your way, Lord. It may not be the way even that, that many churches out there are going, but Lord, I'm going according to your word. I'm going to live by what your plain truth says. Holy Spirit, help me. Do a work in my heart. I repent. I believe. I receive your forgiveness. I confess and turn away from my sins. And Jesus, I forgive others as you have forgiven me.